Hello and welcome back to Recover to Flourish, the podcast that aims to debunk all things eating disorder recovery and bring a bit of light to your eating disorder recovery journey. I'm your host, Keandra. I'm an eating disorder recovery coach and I'm very active over on social media, trying to raise awareness of all things eating disorders and making your journey a little bit easier. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking all about eating disorders and exercise but not just exercise in general, actually the lower level movement trap. So this is a really important episode for me to do because I felt like this was a really important part of my recovery journey and something that kept me stuck for a very, very long time. And I'm sure a lot of you will relate. Some of you might not even realize that you're doing it. So I hope this episode is helpful and that you can relate and hopefully you know, go cold turkey and and help your recovery even further. Before we start, I want to mention, and I suppose a disclaimer, that if you don't engage in any of these behaviors because of your eating disorder, you are no less valid in your eating disorder recovery and your eating disorder diagnosis. But I know that this um, behavior is is quite common um, and many people with eating disorders do struggle with it. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, please make sure to give it a um, review and let me know what you're liking. Let me know if you want any topics spoken about. I am happy to take your um, suggestions on board and I hope that you're enjoying the episodes every week. I um, am loving recording them for you. So we dive straight into the episode. It's just me today um, and I'm going to be talking about this from my own perspective. So in my own recovery journey, when I stopped exercise, so formal exercise as we call it, maybe going out for a walk or going um, to the gym or doing an exercise class because that was what was recommended in my recovery journey, it really became evident um, to myself after a while and to others that my lower level movement urges, such as walking, cleaning, shopping without buying, standing, etc., were increasing at a rapid rate. And it really, you know, took me a while to understand what was what was going on. At the start, I didn't really know why I was doing it. For me, I was like, well, I've stopped exercise and I was, you know, excessively exercising. So, you know, that lower level movement seemed like still that I was doing better. However, I really realized that as soon as I'd conquered like one hurdle or one mountain, I suppose the the other steeper one emerged behind it. Because stopping the exercise was one thing and I know I needed to do it in my recovery, but stopping my compulsive movement was another. And it was so, so hard. And I didn't you know, there was no logic to why I couldn't, I suppose, participate in the compulsive lower me- level movement like I could exercise because I could see that the amount of exercise I was doing was unreasonable. And I really did see how it was doing damage to my health and that it would be a goal, a, you know, it would be working against my goal to rehabilitate and gain weight and recover and. I suppose in my head, the same couldn't have been said for, you know, the optional walk or 
just doing some vacuuming or standing. It didn't have the same, you know, same logic to me. You know, I didn't, in my head, I couldn't argue the reasons why I couldn't continue doing those things um, and why they wouldn't be, why would they would be detrimental to my health. But I suppose deep down, I, I knew that they were. The problem with it was, was, and I don't know if this is the case for you, that these lower level movement compulsions like hid in plain sight and no one really realized I was doing it. I think my parents at the time really did pick up on, you know, how I was supposed worming my way into compulsion again. You know, my dad, um, you know, not to go into too much detail, but my dad has OCD and I suppose he understood the obsessive nature of these lower level movement compulsions. And, you know, lower level movement, and he knew very wisely, is still eating disorder generation generated. Maybe, you know, anorexia um, generated in my case, but, you know, you can still have lower level movement compulsions even without an anorexia diagnosis. It's all about energy deficit. If you have a deficit in energy, whether you've been binging, purging, etc., you know, that is still an eating disorder behavior and should be taken seriously. Okay, so you might be thinking what actually is lower level movement. And I suppose I've been talking a little bit around, um, you know, certain areas, but one example is walking. And this one is, I suppose, a killer (laughs) because in essence, it seems so innocent, but it can be the hardest eating disorder behavior to overcome. You know, fitness watches are now a thing, that 10,000 steps thing is now a thing that is plastered everywhere. And don't let me even go into the 10,000 steps thing. It's generated by insurance companies and, you know, is actually derived from Japan, I think. It has no real evidence that 10,000 is the magic number. Anyway, I um, I digress. Um, but your eating disorder, it basically can demand walks from you. I know that that was the case for me. I, it demanded me to do that walk every day, even though it wasn't, in my eyes, exercise. It had an OCD you know, element to it, you know, that compulsion, you know, always for me, I was always walking the same route without much, much variation. And I suppose if I did vary it, it would be the longer route. I had to do that equivalent of the same walk every day. And I suppose for me, it was, well, if I don't do that, then something bad will happen. Again, that OCD tie to it. I didn't really know what bad meant, you know, and I suppose walking to the supermarket or grocery store or whatever you call it, wherever you come from, meant I, I, I kind of started inventing the things to go and buy. Because I was in recovery, I think my parents at the time were like, well, she's going to buy food, it's okay. But I knew that, you know, that per, that the reason that I was doing it was an eating disorder reason. You know, it it isolated me. I insisted I would go alone because, you know, any, I suppose, quote unquote, normal person would think, number one, why are you walking? Why are you not taking a car? And number two, why are you going a laborious route? So it started to become 
becoming quite isolating and the ritualistic nature of it made it obsessional and it was pretty tiresome and that's when I realized okay this is not you know this is not just a nice walk to clear my head because I mean it when I say it I adore walking I'm not a cardiovascular person I never have been a runner and that's fine I accept that and that's never really been part of my journey um to get out of which I'm actually quite glad of because I can understand that getting out of obsessional um cardiovascular type exercise is really hard but for me walking was the thing that I actually enjoyed so trying to discern whether my walking was disordered or healthy was really hard but I think deep down I knew that I think these these small things would break me down eventually. You know, these small compulsions would break me down. Other than the walking type of lower level movement, housework was a thing. Now, I think my parents remembered as a child, I was never like an overly tidy person. But it was funny, when I developed my eating disorder, I became obsessively tidy. This is a thing that I don't think I've ever really got out of. Um, I'm not obsessively tidy anymore, but I like my space to be clean. It was something that I had to work through. And I think talking about cleanliness, and uh, that will be another episode because it definitely ties and it ties in many people's journeys about, I suppose, leaving food spaces untidy, which again, I had to work on to rewire my brain. But as a child, I wasn't very, very clean. But when I developed my eating disorder in recovery, you know, I started cleaning the house, vacuuming, organizing the fridge. When I was relatively housebound, it it meant that I could develop all sort of OCD elements of the housework, such as, you know, keeping all cleaning products in a certain place or only, you know, or making sure that I did the dishes. And even though I was a very young, you know, teenager at the time, it would i would want to take the the chores because it meant that i could you know i suppose burn that extra energy again i didn't know really what was going on but it was kind of that well what do i do if i'm not exercising i, mean, I have to eat and i suppose i knew that if even if i'd weight restored i might not be recovered from all these lower level movements and that was really scary for me because we I had to look at why I was doing it and it wasn't because I wanted things clean I think it was because I knew that you know I could move again comes with walking you know any sort of shopping I was like okay I'll I'll walk to the shops there's another one that I really think was the biggest um I think for me, and again, this is unique, maybe was the one that made me realize I had still a problem with movement and it was standing. Um, And it was really hard during my um, GCSEs um, and A-levels. I, you know, standing was a big thing. And okay, you might think, well, it's not movement. And okay, it's not strictly movement, but I'm going to explain anyway. It's still a compulsive behavior. So, so many of us have these twisted rules and regulations about how long we're allowed to sit down during the day. Maybe that is because, you know, 
of what society has said about movement and how long you know you should move every hour etc I don't even know I don't even know what society tells us anymore but for me I had a real problem with sitting down and you know we've got to think about it this way when you can't sit for an extended period of time you can't be very social and you can't live a very normal life you know when you can't sit your job options are limited to bartending waiting manual labor um teaching it's very hard to be flexible um because you have to limit your activities to no spontaneous sitting so for me it meant that i couldn't you know sit down in class when i studied i stood up and i would only let myself sit down for such small amount of periods now this was completely compulsive and i don't really know why i did it um but in my eyes it was better than sitting i didn't feel as lazy even though logically i knew that was ridiculous and lastly and i'm i'm actually really happy to say that it never this never bothered me but it was fidgeting um you know a lot of people naturally um jig their legs or 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 twitch or like fidget but for many people it's um I suppose compulsive foot tapping, you know, that leg jiggling, really doing things because you're engulfed in the fear of not doing it. Um, I suppose this one also gets overlooked as some people naturally are fidgety and and that is okay. But if you're doing it out of compulsion, it's not okay. And again, lastly, some people actually favor occupations that um, I suppose um, favor movement. And again, you know, is that, are you, your life is then driven by anorexia or your eating disorder. For me, and this is maybe why I managed to get out all of this, is I didn't want to work in the service industry. I didn't want a job where I had to stand up all day, not because of standing up, it just wasn't the industry that I wanted to be in. So for me, I had to kind of be forced into a situation where I stood, sat down more. That's only one part of my recovery, you know, movement. Anyway, I'm rambling on about what lower level movement actually could look like, but I hope that that's interesting for you. And maybe maybe you have your own lower, lower level movements. So let's have a think about actually how do you get over this? Because, okay, it's one thing getting over exercise, but how do you actually get over these lower level movements? The reason that I'm doing this episode first, not just talking broadly about exercise, is I think it's always good to go backwards, forwards, if that makes sense. It's like, actually identifying do you do any lower level movement and then working on the exercise in situ so step one identify the eating disorder movement ocd type behaviors so those compulsions determine what they are and then also determine to put an end to them all it's very hard because some compulsions are easier to label as you know eating disorder ocd than others it's quite hard because if you have a dog, the dog still needs a walk, but we've got to, you know, we've got to sit with this. Like, here's what worked for me. So if the thought of not doing that behavior causes anxiety and stress, then it's a compulsion and you have to stop. So if the thought of doing an action or not doing an action makes you feel anxious, stressed, cranky, irritable, upset, then it's safe to say that your relationship with that movement was, I suppose, contaminated by compulsion or OCD type urges or your eating disorder. 
regardless of how normal that movement was, like walking the dog, there's no arguments. You had to stop the habit to break it. So you might argue, like, how do you stop? So you have to first bring, obviously, the rituals out of the shadow, shadows because you can use other people to stay accountable to this as well. But the strategy that I used was do as little as possible. And it was okay because I didn't have a job at the time. I was young. But, you know, when my eating disorder told me it was time to do, like, I don't know, clean the house or go for my morning walk, I had to either do nothing or let somebody else do it or drive to a park and sit on the fence and be in nature and only walk a little path. You know, when my eating disorder told me to be the first person to jump at the sound of like, I don't know, a walk or movement, I had to just say, no, I can't do this. Basically, I stopped jumping through the hoops, do nothing, doing nothing when the urges called me. And, you know, the urge passes, it's called urge surfing. You know, you feel that urge coming up, you you sit with it, you be still. And if you do nothing, the urge to do the compulsion will pass. But whatever you do, don't fall into the trap of not taking these lower level movement compulsions seriously, because they will stay with you until you're determined to make an effort to stop. Of course, of course, of course, you can weight restore whilst doing these compulsive movements. But remember, that means you're weight restoring under the conditions of an eating disorder. And they will keep you on a tightrope, locked in a cage, whether you're weight restored or not. And please, please, please don't get emotionally involved. It's really easy to say when I speak to clients within my coaching practice, I say, do nothing. And it's very easy to say, do nothing, right? But what about that flood of anxiety that hits? Like, I do get it, but do nothing there too. You do not have to participate in your emotions. You do not have to get involved. Emotions like urges will pass and they will only stay if you step into them and let them empower you. If you step out the way, let them be there, let them pass that is where the empowerment comes. And I suppose for me, I grew up in a meditation community. Um, again, actually recently I've come back to meditation. Maybe I'll do an episode of that, what my self-care looks like at the moment. But meditation did teach me that as a child, that, you know, one of the most powerful things is emotions are optional. You don't have to step in. You can just let them be. When thoughts come, you don't engage. You just let them be. You get to make a choice. I get to make a choice. Learning this meant meant I felt in control. Actually, that my eating disorder wasn't in control. I'm going to give you an example. So the emotion of and guilt and panic of not following through with my standing compulsion, for instance, like not standing up on a train, to be able to not participate in that was huge. But it was powerful. So I kind of just sat down and I, and I shut up. But it's hard. Use distraction as well, positive distraction. You know, what was the point that I was doing this? You know, meditation doesn't have to be elegant or also to work. Eating disorder treatment has to recognize these compulsive behaviors like OCD. You know, the OCD and eating disorders definitely, definitely over, over, overlap 
especially when it comes to anorexia as well and restrictive eating disorders. You have to look at all behaviours. Lower level movement compulsions are an aspect of eating disorders and need to be validated and understood to actually recover from them. You know, treatment needs to take, you know, a whole 360 holistic view to get a complete picture of the individual rather than, I suppose, what the diagnostic manual to eating sort of recovery looks like because a lot of time people don't really understand and that is why I do the job that I do I coach people one-on-one I will be doing great group coaching soon because I really do get it and I also don't let any behaviors go under the under the carpet remember this one thing and I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal here but I understand what how hard it is but I stopped doing these things and so can you Your eating disorder will tell you that the world might end if you don't participate in all these lower level OCD type behaviors. You feel, honestly, it's like an itchy feeling that if you don't do them, the world's going to end. And, you know, I literally, I think, broke into a cold sweat the first time I'd made myself sit down for a whole day. But I remember it so well because it was so bloody hard. But simultaneously, it felt like freedom because I didn't have to do what my eating disorder demanded me anymore. Just take back your freedom and every part of you remember that this is a life without an eating disorder. If you're going to engage with all these behaviors, you know, you are going to be still engaging in the eating sort of the rest of your life and I know for well that that is not a life well spent and I'm not trying to threaten any of you and I know it's hard and you know I'd love to hear from you but really please like reach out if you're struggling if you need any support in this and if you want any more information I'm happy to do a post a post on it just Find things to do in the stillness. Allow yourself to eat in the stillness. Allow yourself to feel emotions of discomfort. Freedom to do what you want with your time is absolutely worth sitting through a couple of hours of uncomfortable stillness with yourself for. You know, it's even worth sitting through a raging eating sort of tantrum for. Freedom to do what you want comes after you have the ability to sit still without anxiety. And you have to work through that to get there. And you will get to the other side. So be determined and please sit down. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really do hope you found it insightful, helpful. If it is applicable to you, if it's not, then that's absolutely fine. You're still valid. I just wanted to bring awareness to that because it's all all too common. As mentioned, please make sure to share this with your friends and family um, if they want to hear about eating disorders and try and understand them. And if you have the chance, please leave a review. Um, I'd love for it to hear from you. It helps me do what I do. And if you have any suggestions on podcast episodes, please just get in touch. Um, I will leave all my contact details below. I'm at Flourish with Kendra or Recover to Flourish underscore pod um, Instagram wise, social media. So please do get in touch. But for now, um, thank you so much for sticking around to the end of this episode. I will speak to you in my next one. Bye-bye.